from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Portugal doesn't look at Russia as an enemy. We look at Russia as an adversary. EU member states tightening the screws on Russia. Uh, we will never recognize, never, all the annexations, uh, for instance, of Crimea. Never. And Jose Alberto de Azaredo Lopes, National Defense Minister for Portugal, has some advice about how to think about Russia's presence on the global stage. We believe that it's impossible to construct a, a, a discourse on global defense and security thinking only on Russia. And if we do so, we are contributing to reinforce Russia because we are building an image of Russian power uh, uh, that is maybe disproportionate with reality. The bottom line, while polite diplomacy still exists, gone is the tolerance of Russia's aggressive behavior. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. The 2018 North Atlantic Treaty Organization NATO Summit is coming up in July in Brussels, July 11th and 12th. Three of the top agenda items are improving the speed of decision-making, refining the readiness of NATO forces, and enhancing the mobility of NATO forces. There's been a sense of urgency to address these issues for the last four years since Russia's annexation of Crimea. But the urgency to improve these areas transformed into a number one priority after Russia's massive and blatant interference campaigns in the Brexit referendum, Spanish, German, and French elections, and Russia's U.S. election tampering campaign solidify the need to address Russia and to do it now. Most of the key stakeholders in NATO are in the European Union. One of them is Portugal. And Defense Minister Jose Alberto de Azaredo Lopes spoke to Target USA about the problem. He did not bite his tongue when it comes to Russia. And he sounds critical of NATO in some of his comments, but he makes clear he's a supporter. He just feels it's time to change its approach a bit. I don't like too much speaking on a 360-degree approach of NATO because I'm a little bit tired of this cliché. Uh, what, uh, what is uh, a concern for us, but I'm not criticizing NATO because I think that we are going in the right, in the right path. Uh, NATO was built in a very traditional way. It was built in 49 with a very clear and territorial approach. We were the good ones, those 
on the eastern side were the bad ones. I speak of the eastern flank. Of course, we are all speaking about Russia. That was my next question. Uh, I imagine. <laughs> uh, and then you go to the south and cuckoo, you find Russia in Syria. Mm -hmm. And then if you don't want to continue this eternal discussion on what is the south, you go even more to the south, to Central African Republic, and cuckoo, you find there Russians training the armed forces of the Central African Republic. And so, as I'm very, a very limited person, uh, are you speaking about the Russia in its eastern dimension, or in its southern dimension, or in its African dimension? Because I think that we love to speak about global security and defense. And sometimes we have a very, we create compartments, okay. uh, uh, like the bees, like the bees that make honey. Uh, and I think that we should make this reflection globally. But according to Azaredo Lopes, and you can read it for yourself in the history books, the world has changed significantly since 1949 when it comes to Russia. The USSR's global domination campaign during the Cold War brought the world to what some might say was the brink of annihilation. The U.S. and its missiles versus the Soviet arsenal guaranteed that if one was fired, another would be launched, and another, and another, until most likely the world would end up in a nuclear holocaust. That all changed when the USSR crumbled. Left in its wake was a weak Russia. Since that time, Russia's managed to claw its way back into the international conversation, but its economy has never recovered, and Russia's leadership today may be more focused than it was during the Cold War on actually dominating the world in some way. At this point, economically, it can't happen. Russia's economy is not even in the top five in the world or the top ten, but what it can do is what it's doing hybrid warfare, cyber attacks, meddling and interfering in the affairs of neighbors and other countries around the world. And Lopes says this is why NATO needs to change its approach. The world changed so much that sometimes maybe I'd like NATO to be have a more differentiated approach. Uh, I can understand, of course, what NATO is doing about the Eastern threats and challenges. But I would say this is the more comfortable approach. It's still very territorial, very traditional. We are counting forces, the enhanced forces presence, and so on, uh, and so on, and so on. I, I would like also to see NATO adapt more clearly its strategy, its uh, capacity of acting quickly in a smooth way and an efficient way to different threats. We have spoken a lot on the southern flank. We have created the Naples hub. Uh, we are making our work on building DCB measures. But I'm hearing 
have been hearing from DCB measures since I entered office in December 2015. And I don't see any clear strategy yet on DCB measures. I think that this is our common responsibility. One organization is not uh, something that lives for itself. One organization reflects its member. And so I'm not putting Portugal outside this responsibility, but I think that one of our most, most important challenges, for instance, is how can we work to build tailor-made DCB measures? And I think that this can be also a contribution from Portugal. We are building, it has been approved in the Council of Ministers, the institutionalization of uh, our Atlantic Defense Center that will be, it will have its base in the Azores. I think this is an opportunity to also to, to, to commit Portugal in making a more adapted work to different situations that are not as traditional as those we are facing in the eastern flank. And I think that I am right. And this is the bottom line of what Azaredo Lopes was saying. I understand and we fully support all the efforts in the eastern flank, but we are asking for NATO to make a reset of its global approach. I think that uh, 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 I would be, it would be important for, for us to, I don't know if it is political possible to make a new strategic concept, but I think that it is very important to make a new reflection of what we want from NATO, uh, much more than asking NATO to do everything, because as I said, NATO is only the, the reflection, the reflex of what its members are. Mm -hmm. We have heard you talk about Russia. Do you believe that Russia has the resources to be that big global threat that they are operating right now, that, you know, the Eastern, the Southern, the African, or is this something that's just going to be temporary? Every power is temporary, as you know. This is the the, the uh, 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 law that history has always proven to be true. Uh, the problem is not if it is temporary, because I think that Russia will be always a power in itself. Uh, I suppose that you, we are asking that if Russia has the capacity of being, of being everywhere, uh, I must say that Portugal doesn't look at Russia as an enemy. We look at Russia as an adversary. This is true. Uh, we will never recognize, never, uh, and we have proven our coherence in the past, all the annexations, uh, for instance, of Crimea, never. But we believe that it's impossible to construct a, a, a discourse on global defense and security thinking only on Russia. And if we do so, we are contributing to reinforce Russia because we are building an image of Russian power uh, uh, that is maybe disproportionate with reality. And I think we made already this big mistake with Al-Qaeda. We're talking with Jose Alberto de Ezaredo Lopes. He's the defense minister from Portugal. He was in Washington on June 13th 
for the EU Security and Defense Washington Symposium. And you just heard him say, the West is contributing to Russia's propaganda machine by blowing them up to be something that they are not. And when we come back... We contributed to promote Al-Qaeda like we promote a Burger King and the McDonald's. We'll hear him explain how we made that same mistake with Al-Qaeda when we come back to Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. We've been talking on this program with Jose Alberto de Azaredo Lopes, defense minister from Portugal. And before the break, he told us the West should not increase Russia's profile. In other words, the West should not play into this idea that Russia is some invincible monster that the world has no answer for. He said... We made that same mistake with Al-Qaeda. We contributed to promote Al-Qaeda like we promote a Burger King and the McDonald's. We turned, uh, we made a huge favor to Al-Qaeda, transforming it in a global, in a global uh, uh, image and market. We made a marvelous marketing to Al-Qaeda. And I think this was a huge mistake because they understood us much better than we understood them. And so they were using our capacity of communicating, promoting, and we transformed Al-Qaeda at a certain moment. It was like evil. Al-Qaeda apparently, according to sources I've spoken to, is regenerating. Uh, so what needs to be different in dealing with Al-Qaeda now? I think that we are, we are already deal, dealing in a very different way with Al-Qaeda, uh, even in Maghreb and so also. Uh, but we are also dealing in a much more intelligent way with Daesh. We never accepted to promote Daesh the way we accepted to promote, not in a voluntary way, but we transformed them uh, in some, somehow uh, uh, a global a global opponent, as if uh, all security and defense issues were concentrated in this organization. And why? Because we didn't understand that the way they worked, their transatlantic dimension, their sophisticated and very elementary at the same time way of working. And we understood much better Daesh, and we won against Daesh much more quickly than uh, what we have done with, uh, with Al-Qaeda. I remember we began our intervention in Afghanistan the 7th September 2001. And we, to tell you the truth, we didn't know very well who we were fighting. We didn't know from a military perspective if we were fighting the Taliban or Al-Qaeda. And so, very comfortably, we preferred to assimilate them. Mm-hmm. It's when you see something that you don't understand, you try to simplify. We made a magnificent campaign. We won. Al-Qaeda was defeated. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. The Taliban were defeated. 
But Al-Qaeda transformed itself uh, and had the capacity of attacking in Madrid, in London, and to terrify uh, entire regions of the globe. Mm -hmm. It was only when we understood that we must, we had to work together, for instance, in criminal cooperation, re, uh, investigation, criminal investigation. We had to build confidence between the two parts of the Atlantic. That's when we were capable of defeating them. That's Jose Alberto de Azaredo Lopes, defense minister from Portugal. He was one of a group of U.S. and EU defense officials that met in Washington in mid-June to discuss some of the most pressing issues facing their alliance. Another EU official in Washington was Pedro Therano, Deputy Secretary General for Common Security and Defense Policy in the European External Action Service, which is the Ministry of Foreign Affairs for the EU. And among the issues we discussed were the U.S.'s somewhat indifferent attitude under President Donald Trump towards the EU and NATO, including defense spending and trade and a number of other issues. Well, I think many um, statements have already been made um, by European Union leaders on these issues, and I think I just refer to, uh, to those. Um, from where I sit, um, I think it is important to differentiate um, um, what is happening in other sectors. There are mechanisms to address uh, trade uh, disputes, and we have to use those mechanisms. Um, at the same time, the European Union, on its own, um, is uh, um, developing also capabilities because it, it wants to be able to protect its interests in the most effective manner, and that, this is what we have also been doing uh, during the last years, and, and this is a process that will um, continue. What is the most important thing to you right now during your visit that you want accomplished or you've uh, set out to engage on? Well precisely along the lines of your questions to ascertain um, that there is a clear understanding of the challenges that we're facing and that we're uh, working uh, towards common goals and that uh, um, there is understanding for what the European Union is trying to achieve. Um, I think those are the main uh, goals of, of, of my visit and to see how we can further strengthen um, this relationship and dialogue on security and defense matters at the appropriate level. What, what are your biggest challenges in your position in, as an organization right now? Biggest challenges is that we have a very complex world out there and that we have to respond as best we can uh, to what is happening. And it is not easy. There's not one thing happening. There are many things happening in different fronts. Okay, give us a few. There are um, states that are very fragile in, 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 in the Sahel, in the Horn of Africa. Um, there is um, spillover from conflicts in the Middle East into Northern Africa, into also East Africa and, 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 um, uh, and West Africa even. Um, and, and instability in that part of the world has a direct impact on, on Europe in many different ways and through organized crime, through uh, terrorism. And uh, so we have to assist these countries. We have to assist them for the sake of their own populations. Um, some of them are very poor countries um, uh, with whom the European Union and European member states have uh, strong relations, and therefore it is our duty as well to assist them. It's a duty to assist them, but it's also a necessity if we want to protect our own uh, interests. Are there any immediate or specific bigger threats? There are also threats. I had. Uh, yeah, there are also threats. Obviously, uh, let's say to the east, 
uh, no doubt, and and our relationship with um, uh, with uh, Russia has deteriorated uh, since 2014. Uh, Russia is uh, is a neighbor of uh, the European uh, Union. Um, we have to um, uh, reach understanding on how we're going to um, be working and cooperating with Russia. And the long term, only cooperative relationships are sustainable. Uh, but obviously, Russia has um, violated uh, essential norms of uh, international um, um, uh, of in, interna uh, international norms in uh, um, in the order of, of Europe and violated Helsinki principles, has invaded uh, and uh, annexed uh, a, a sovereign uh, part of a sovereign state, is um, fueling uh, an undercover uh, conflict in that state, and not only there, also other conflicts in, in Georgia, uh, including in Moldova. Um, so we need to find um, uh, we are we, we we need to continue addressing uh, these matters as they deserve to be addressed, but knowing that um, uh, yeah that um, Russia is is there to stay, obviously. One of your colleagues, Linus Linkevicius, the foreign minister from Lithuania, visited with me a couple of weeks ago, and he pointed out all the things you pointed out, and he said. What we need to recognize and understand and engage on is that it's not us, speaking of the EU or the rest of the world, that needs to fix or to do something to fix the situation with Russia. It's Russia that needs to stop doing what it's doing and start doing the right things, and uh, more pressure needs to be put on Russia to do that. Do you agree with that? Well, no doubt that Russia has to move and to move in a direction that is different from the one it has been following in the last um, years. The European Union has been applying pressure and constantly and very decidedly since 2014, and we have quite an impressive array of, of sanctions, and we have um, also um, uh, adapted our discussions with Russia to, to the situation, uh, and we will continue to work um, and, 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 and engage with Russia when it serves our interest and, and encouraging Russia uh, by all means, uh, we we can uh, legal means that we can uh, to um, uh, change its mm -hmm. line of action. Minister Serrano, the thing that I want to get at here is that yes, you and every other up, fine, upstanding, and 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 credible government in the world has been doing this, but Russia just hasn't reacted. It's continued, as you mentioned, down the path that it's continued for for years. So what's the option? Do you continue doing what you're doing, or does, do there need to be changes? Does, does there need to be a bolder approach to stopping Russian aggression? I don't know if you have any ideas in this regard. No. I'd be very interested. No, I mean, <laughs> you, I have to ask you that question. I mean, I think about it. I don't have the answers, but... Uh, because um, uh, there are, in any case, I think, limits um, to how much any uh, a state wants to pursue a path that will ultimately not be uh, uh, not render uh, the results uh, and, and 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 satisfactions that it is seeking, mm -hmm. and I do think that Russia is going to end up finding those limits, uh, and uh, and therefore may have to reassess its own engagement. Jorge Domek, CEO of the European Defense Agency, was also 
at the summit. And we spoke with him specifically about the challenges facing NATO and the European Union as it relates to the U.S. and President Donald Trump. I think the challenges are twofold but connected, that we maintain a very cherished and valued transatlantic link embodied in the uh, NATO alliance, which has been there nearly 70 years now, and which has proved uh, adaptable to situations. But that is directly connected to the need for Europeans to take a larger share of the responsibility and of the burden. So the EU initiatives are uh, focused on really ensuring that EU stands on its feet as the US has called for in its national security strategy saying EU to provide for its own security. But that has to be done in a way in which we are able to act with our partners when possible and to be able to act independently when necessary. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're referring to the president's comments regarding the, the money situation, more setting aside more money to pay for uh, defense. Uh, is, is that correct? The burden-sharing debate on the 2% devoted to defense spending is a NATO debate. It's not something that I focus in the agency. Defense investment is necessary. Uh, countries have to spend more in defense, given the present context. But what is more important for me is that European member states in the European Defense Agency do more to spend in an efficient manner. They have to spend better mm -hmm. because we can spend a lot and that could not give the effect we need. And I will give you one example where we have been working with NATO hand in hand, which shows that it's just not a question of 2%. That is military mobility. You can invest a lot in defense capabilities, but if you cannot move them to where you need them when the time comes, the expenditure you have made is thrown out through the window. So one of the areas where we are working on with the Pertman Structured Corporation and in the agency with the different activities we have set in train for some years now, with, I think, a bigger success than had been achieved in NATO, mm -hmm. NATO recognizing that it had been a frustrating effect, is a major contribution that the EU can make to the common um, objective of doing a, a safer Europe. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I learned a couple of years ago during a conference in Bulgaria, I think it was the NATO CD&E conference, one of your colleagues was actually there and was on a panel with me. I was there to moderate, and one of the things that came up was what you mentioned. You can spend a lot of money, you can put a lot of resources out there, but the nefarious actor or the terror group or the, the, you know, the, the, the small organization that decides to attack a country or the EU um, can move very nimbly. 
but a large organization, it takes a lot to move that organization to meet that threat. Is, so are you focused on ways to make being able to respond easier? Is that what I hear you saying? With military mobility, what we are ensuring is precisely that uh, the, the defense uh, in Europe, be it for national reasons, be it for operations, CSDP operations, be it for collective defense in NATO, can happen, that you can move military troops and assets when necessary to the places where they're needed. And it doesn't mean it's related only to a crisis. Mm -hmm. It can be for day-to-day -day movements. It can be for exercises. If you can't m move around, mm -hmm. you won't be able to use them in the right way if the time comes for it. And how would you assess that ability right now? It's uh, suboptimal. It's, it's not good. I mean, it, it, uh, that is one, why it has become a major working, uh, as a working uh, strand for, for uh, European defense. Mm -hmm. um, what's your plan to reach it, to, to, to get to where you need to be? Well, um, there are many activities involved, and military mobility is going to be a strand of work uh, which is going to engage us for many years to come. It's not something that goes away. Mm -hmm. Among other things, because also technology will change the way we understand military mobility. Yeah. The systems are changing. What you need and when is changing. Just bring into the picture autonomous vehicles. Uh, when you think about the number of UAVs which are going to be flying in Europe in the coming years. That is not a part of the equation of military mobility today, but it will be not long from now. So it's not something we're going to do, and it's done. It's going to imply a long-term endeavor. That's it for this edition of Target USA. On this program, we've talked a lot about the eastern flank of the European Union, and that is jargon for Russia. And on our next program, we continue this conversation about Russia and we take a look at the dirty side of the Kremlin. Subcontractors that don't work for the Russian government, um, in some cases, those are Westerners. Those are Western, they, they, they employ Western um, ex spies and ex journalists and, and ex investigators to work for them in Britain, in Washington, in Brussels. American-born British businessman Bill Browder says this is a part of the scheme to kill him. They probably spent about $50 million coming after me on, on outsiders. And I have no way of quantifying the, the insider stuff, but, but I, I would say that there's probably officials in at least 20 different countries um, in their foreign ministries and their spy agencies um, that are gathering information. You know the story about why. It's because of the Magnitsky Act. Well, for Bill Browder, it never stops. And on our next program, there are new developments. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Please, subscribe to our podcast, and also let me know what you think. Send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa, jgreen at wtop.com. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. If you like this podcast, 
you should check out Real GM Radio. Danny LaRue, the basketball expert, sports writer, and podcaster, has a show here on Podcast One Sportsnet where he breaks down all things NBA with some of the NBA's best thought leaders. For in-depth conversation, breaking down the NBA playoffs, check out Real GM Radio every Thursday on Podcast One Sportsnet and Apple Podcast. Also, remember to rate and review. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.